Hi, and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm Brian, your host. And if you're returning to us, welcome back. And if you're a, a new listener, welcome home, the home of entertainment. I try my best to interview people from stage and screen um, for you guys. So please, if you've got any suggestions, please comment on the podcast or on the YouTube channel, and I'll do my best. So this week, we've got the wonderful Mark Oz Geist. Mark Geist was involved in the Battle of Benghazi. So if you've ever watched the film 13 Hours, you know exactly what we're talking about. And Mark Geist was actually there and went through that battle. And we get a little bit of uh, time with him to discuss his experience uh, before, during and after the event and the wonderful work he does uh, for, for charity now. So sit back, relax and enjoy our interview with Mark Geist. And as always, our podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Prop Store. So if you're after a screen-used piece of prop or costume piece, please give their website a uh, a checkout at propstore.com. They've also got a wonderful auction coming this December. So check them out. I mean, they're an amazing company. I've got quite a few pieces from them. Um, and it's the only place I would say you know, to go and get your piece from and know it's completely, you know, legit and genuine. So that's propstore.com. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mark Geist. Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. In action packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to Are We Alone in the Universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So, on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we're following the theme of 13 hours. So, you've seen our interview with Max Martini. Well, Max Martini portrayed the wonderful Mark Geist in 13 Hours, and it's an absolute honour to have the man himself uh, that went through the Battle of Benghazi. It's Mark Geist. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. And how's everything been treating you during this lovely COVID? <laughs> uh, it is... Uh, it, it's, been, it's been good. I mean, I've got yeah. my opinions on the whole thing, but... Uh, Overall, I mean, I just I just keep living life. Yeah, yeah, keep moving forwards. That's the uh, aim aim of the game. Um, but I'm sure everything will get sorted um, and decisions are made correctly, um, which I'm sure they are at the moment. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, opinions. I'm not very political, so I'm sure that we're not going to get into a political <laughs> <laughs> stance. Some people like um, someone and some people don't. I, me personally, I quite like him, but that's, that's me. But again, I'm English, so I can't say anything about American politics. Yeah, I tell you, outside of the politics, I just wish that, uh, you know, they would follow the science. And I don't believe they're completely following the science, at least not here on this side of the... Uh, on this side of the pond. Has, has everything opened up over there yet? Or is it everything uh, It's kind of opened up with a lot of restrictions. School, uh, I've got an eight-year-old little girl. She is uh, going to school full-time, but she has to wear a mask all the time. Um, really? Yeah. And wow. then the, uh, the older kids from like sixth grade up through, so that would be like 11 through uh, 18 aren't going to school at all. They're getting it all on online at home. Wow. 
I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've got a seven, seven-year-old li- little girl and she goes back this Thursday to school, but they're not wearing masks. I've also <laughs> got a two-year-old little girl that's actually going to nursery for the first time. So uh, we're on edge a bit, um, but all we can do is follow guidance that's been given to us and uh, make sure everyone's washing hands and, and, and uh, following uh, the right yeah, guidance. But anyway, let's talk about what I got you on the show for. Um, and again, it's, it's a great honour because the film 13 Hours, I've probably seen probably about 20 times. And wow. I just think it's an awesome movie and it's probably the closest i will ever get to something like that and you know be the comfort of my own home um so let's start back mark at your your start in your life you was a marine um and what did you do in the marines um i started out i was in the infantry um ended up in uh, a surveillance and target acquisition platoon and then finished out my career my last six years was uh, as an interrogator translator. Right. Um, I speak Persian Farsi as a second language. That is awesome. And then you left the Marines to become a police, a police chief. Was that correct? Well, I, I, can't, I became a deputy sheriff first uh, and then uh, did that for about three years, um, mainly uh, investigating crimes against children and crimes against families. Yeah. And then after that, I took a job as chief of police in a, I mean, in a real small town where I grew near where I grew up. So what made you go from being a Marine to uh, a police officer? And I read a bounty hunter as well. Um, um, so, yeah. so there's a lot of criminals out there that I'm very happy right now that obviously <laughs> met you in the wrong terms. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got out of the Marine Corps because I was um, deploying a lot six to nine months out of the year is what we were looking at. And uh, my I had a brand new son and um, just really didn't want to be away from him that much. So I made the uh, and I say this with a little get better condescending in there, but um, I made the good the choice to get out of the Marine Corps, become a police officer or a deputy sheriff and still work odd hours as law enforcement does. And, you know, it's on call 24 seven. So it really didn't help out there. And uh, me and my first wife got divorced because of, because uh, of me and my careers. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine it's, it's, it's an easy job being, being in the police. Um, especially now, to be fair, I've got a friend that's just joined and he's facing so much stuff here in the UK. Um, so, you then became part of the GRS. Um, if you could explain what the GRS are and do, if possible. Well, initially I started private contracting or working in uh, Iraq as a private security contractor in 2004. Um, worked for a couple different companies, uh, worked with a lot of Brits, worked with some South Africans, um, worked, I mean, I lived on a camp. We had a camp with about 900 Iraqis on it. Um, so we were re- mainly training the SWAT teams and training the emergency response units until I did get picked up to uh, work uh, with GRS, which is Global Response Staff. And our job was to basically be bodyguards for um, case officers within the CIA. Or shall we say a, a cooking school 
because that's yeah. what what it was called culinary <laughs> institute of america <laughs> which is awesome which is absolutely awesome um so if you could paint a picture what is benghazi actually like uh to be in because i mean i'm sure the film portrayed it in a certain way but from your opinion what was benghazi like you know um i had been there about 45 days before september 11th um i mean the average person there i mean probably like the average person well i they were like the average person in every country I've ever been to. I mean, really the average, the, the person that's working in the street or living day to day just wants to make you know, make some money, try to keep the government or some radical militia from taking most of it, get their kids to school and not have to worry about getting killed or blown up, you know? And uh, um, it's the radical elements of any society that really cause all the problems. And that's kind of mm. what was there as well. And most of those guys didn't come out till after, uh, after dark. So, um, mm. you know, I, I could drive around, we'd stop and have tea with uh, some of the locals. And at that point they were really happy because, you know, we helped get rid of Gaddafi, um, the coalition between United States, Britain, France, Germany, all that, that Hillary Clinton had put together, um, you know, and, but the tr the people in Benghazi were from a different tribe than the people that were from Gaddafi and from Tripoli. So, you know, that's some of the dichotomy of the Middle East is just because they're Arabs doesn't mean that they all get along. Yeah, of course. Of course. So on September the 11th, 2012, you know, a group of men, brothers, warriors, um, you know, showed true grit in saving the lives of a lot of Americans. Um, and from my opinion, from no support, with no support from their country, um, you know, you know, how how did that make you feel? Because you're in the middle of Benghazi and everything's hitting the fan, and you don't get any support from your country. I mean, what actually went wrong? Um, politics. Uh, politics <laughs> went wrong. People, you know, when you have people who are in charge and. Uh, and I don't call them leaders because, you know, politics is a popularity contest. Leadership is the opposite of that. I mean, if you're a good leader, if you're a true leader, most of your guys don't really like you that much because you're making the hard decisions. And, uh, you know, that's the challenge that all of our politicians from around the world have to make is, you know, they're, they're there to be, unless it's a dictator like Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein or that guy, you know, um, they don't have to win the popularity contest. They just have to make that decision. But our politicians trying to worry about how things look, how it's going to affect an election, all of those things shouldn't matter when it comes to uh, people who, uh, who are sitting on a rooftop anywhere and dying. Hmm. I mean, this is what I don't get because I've been to the States quite a lot. Um, I like my American his history. I've been to plenty of football games, uh, basketball, um, and I've got to say how patriotic Americans can be is is just overwhelming. It's just amazing that the, the fact of beginning of each game, you know, they stand up, they pay tribute to all the armed forces. But yet from my, you know, what I see, I think it's really bad that obviously politics, you know, takes, you know, presidents in 
save, save, saving lives. I mean, during during the attack of of uh, September the 11th, what was going through your mind? You know, when everything was hitting the fan. You know, the biggest thing was just making sure that uh, the people that I was tasked with protecting, that our team was tasked with protecting, made it home alive. Yeah. Um, you know, we put out the call for help. But by the, you know, when you're getting shot at, the last thing you're thinking about, you know, it's probably the first thing you should be thinking about, but really it's the last thing you're thinking about is whether or not help's coming. You're worried about taking care of what's in front of you. Mm. And have that you, immediate threat. And have you ever been in that sort of situation before in, in, in the Marines? Um, not while I was in the Marine Corps, but, you know, I was private contracting. I was a private security contractor for nine and a half years. Um, in the Middle East, in various different countries. And uh, it wasn't the first time that I'd had uh, somebody shooting at me or trying to blow me up. Wow. And, and, and a moment from that night that really sticks out, um, what would that be, you know, that, that you, know, you, you, you think of? You know, I mean, there's, there's obviously when I got blown up and everything then, but really what sticks to my mind is just having, you know, Two, two big ones other than that was when I first got back, because, you know, I'd been out in town with a female case officer. Um, I got back and was into the annex when the rest of the guys had went over to the consulate. And I'm now I'm pretty much uh, the guy that's in charge of security there. And uh, making I've got the responsibility of making sure 20-some-odd people make it home. And, you know, that's not having a whole lot of assets there. Um, I had a couple guys that were uh, – that helped out. But for the most part, it was, it was weighing that weight was on my shoulders. And, and then the other big one was uh, in between the second and third firefight um, at the annex was when I was up on the rooftop with Ty, Tyrone Woods, um, you know, just having some of the conversations with him, things had kind of slowed down. Your adrenaline's kind of wearing off a little bit. And we're just kind of talking about, um, about our kids and, uh, because he had a young boy at the time that he'd only seen once. My little girl was seven months old. Um, all of us that were in the security team, all of us had kids that were really young. And so that was just kind of the conversations that we, we kind of went over a little bit. Mm. And you mentioned earlier on that you got injured quite badly. Um, you know, how, how, how is everything now? You know, I, I, I noticed, was it, was it your arm that got? Yeah, it's uh, this arm right here. Uh, I had shrapnel go through here, here, come out the other side, disintegrated two two inches of the uh, radial bone, the median nerve, shattered the ulna, um, piece of skin right through here, and then this piece of muscle right here was about all that was holding it on. And uh, wow, and um, I saw and it. I got hit in the neck and chest. Wow. Go ahead. So so <laughs> so you you you're doing well now. <laughs> Uh, you're doing well now. Uh, I mean, I, I, I noticed at the end of the movie, it said that you had to re-enlist so you could get the medical, you know, help. Uh, yeah. Why did you have to re-enlist? Why couldn't you get the metal, uh, medical help anyway? Well, it's, uh, I could have gotten medical help as a contractor. And it, wasn't, it was an easier way of saying, saying that I, re, I was re-enlisted. It's an easier way of saying that I had um, approval by the Secretary of Defense to get treatment in military hospitals. Um, 
Otherwise, had I not, as a private security contractor, we're not taken care of by the military other than immediate care and then going back to a regular hospital. And, you know, with the politics behind Benghazi at that time, um, they felt that it was better to put me in a military hospital. Plus, our military doctors have seen a lot of injuries that are like what I had compared to uh, our civilian doctors. And one, I think they just wanted, and I'm glad that they did keep the media away from me because if I went to a regular hospital, some, you know, it would have been out all over um, that I was in that hospital and I would have got inundated with, uh, with media that, you know, and at that time, all I wanted to do was be with my family and heal and didn't yeah. need uh, people uh, swarming all over me. Yeah. And obviously your recovery af afterwards, uh, did, did, you, uh, did you have any reoccurring conditions regarding, I know you mentioned P PDSD, but you don't call it with a D on the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I don't, it's not a disorder. I mean, a disorder kind of makes it look, seem like it's a, uh, it's, you know, that you're crazy or something like that. It's just an injury of the brain yeah. like anything else. Um, is the way I kind of look at it. And, uh, you know, I, I've had, um, 14 surgeries, 15 surgeries. Some of the, I had my, cause I got hit all over with shrapnel. I had about 20, 25 holes in me, um, in the neck, up and around my eyes, uh, chest, both legs up and down both arms. Um, so I had, I've had some hernias that have kind of come through cause they had to cut me open in my stomach to check to make sure I didn't have any, uh, shrapnel in my uh insides and uh when they did that you know they didn't sew it up real quick or they sewed it up real quick and didn't get everything just as it should and caused some weaknesses in the uh in the abdominal wall so i had to go back in and get some uh other sur follow-on surgeries to take care of some of that stuff as well a true warrior they didn't get you they didn't they didn't take you take take you down good for you and no. then two years after that, we have this beautiful thing here. Um, yes. Oh, it's messing about with my green screen, um, <laughs> which is which is um, thirteen hours. And can I just add, I've got the the signed edition. Uh, awesome. Um, which um, can I just add? I didn't realise that you can actually buy the book from your website, markguys.com. Yes. Uh, fifty dollars, which is a bargain, and it's signed as well. So yes. I urge everyone to go over there and grab the book. I haven't started reading it yet because I've got two little girls, and uh, I'm trying to find the appropriate time to sit down and actually get a bit of quiet time. So, how did the book uh, come come about for you? Um, you know, it's uh, I had initially the rest of the guys that went to work. I had initially gotten contacted by a friend of a friend who had knew um, some people in Hollywood. They were interested in doing a, a movie about my whole life. Um, I ended up having an opportunity to speak with Clint Eastwood about that. And first question out of his mouth was, uh, have you written a book? And I'm like, no. He says, well, go write a book. And so I, was, I went and um, got an agent, went through that whole process, got a, uh, got a, actually had a contract waiting um, for a large amount of money. And, but before I wrote the book or before I signed that contract, uh, me and the rest of the guys kind of talked, um, and thought that the story would be better told if it was told by all of us instead of just one of us, because 
we all did different things throughout that night and over that period of time, and we were in different locations. And to get a full understanding of what happened and truly what it was like for us as a team, um, we just felt that it was better that uh, we all kind of collaborated on it. And so uh, we were all able to do that and uh, had a much better book, I think, than if it would have just been about my life because uh, my life's kind of boring. <laughs> Well, some might disagree, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So it became a bestseller, and um, it, you know it's climbed the charts and it sold so so well. And then you know, then a movie, Michael Bay. Um, you know how cool is that? I mean, how did that come about from the book? Well, our uh, our agent who helped us uh, get the book deal. Um, worked for a group called Three Arts, who has a production company in Hollywood. And they, um, and, you know, and I think they, from the very beginning, knew that this would be a great movie. And we pitched it to a bunch of the uh, companies out there, the movie companies. And luckily for us, and I think it was, uh, you know, it was the grace of God that it was somebody like Michael Bay who had the the star power and the pull with, paramount to get this movie done and done right yeah apparently according to max uh michael bay uh, gets given a passion project um as part of his deal and this was his was his passion project and you can yep. completely see why um <clears throat> so what was your involvement during the actual making of the movie what what did you input um you know to the actual project well you know and um you, uh, you sign your life rights away when you sell your, your story. So basically, they can depict you however they want. But, you know, Paramount and Michael Bay was so good about it because they, uh, they actually gave us the script before it was finalized. They let us go through it. Um, you know, we asked for some things to be changed. Some of them they made, some of them they didn't. But uh, Michael sat down with us and explained uh, – all the ones why he didn't want to do, you know, why he didn't want to change it or why he was choosing to do it the way that he wanted to. And, and it all made sense, you know, and it didn't take away from, uh, from the true, the truthness of the story, um, from the, uh, from the spirit of what happened, you yeah. know, cause one of the big ones is during the movie, it shows us mainly fighting from two rooftops, uh, in reality, we're fighting from four because we have to cover 360 degrees. And the attacks came from just two sides. So if you would have depicted it where it was complete reality and like in a documentary, a couple of the guys really wouldn't have been involved in much of the fighting. And then that would have took away from the idea of showing how much it took us as a team to work together to, to really survive that night. Yeah. And also, uh, let's talk about Max Mar Martini. What a wonder wonderful guy. I mean, to, to get an actor <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. to play you on screen, not only does he look like you, um, but he's an awesome guy. I mean, did you request certain things um, from Michael or from Max when, you know, Max was going to portray you on screen? You know, it didn't really have to. I mean, um, you know, uh, Max when it came out that he was going to be portraying me, I mean, it was, it was just a natural. I mean, um, we didn't get a chance to e actually meet before the sh um, filming, but we got to talk a lot over the phone and, and it really kind of gave me um, 
a greater respect for what these guys do as actors to to get it right. Because when we would talk on the phone, I mean, he wanted to know about me growing up and my past and just all of that. You know? And I was kind of like, what's that got to do with anything that happened in Benghazi? And he says, well, for me to portray you as you, to be that, to be you, I need to know who you were before, during, and after. And, uh, you know, the work that they put in is, is tremendous. I mean, uh, and I was really pleased. I mean, we got to hang out on set for a lot of it. Uh, Michael Bay brought us out because we filmed in Malta. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, what a beautiful place. I mean, I should be their tour uh, guide there because, <laughs> uh, or their tour ambassador, because I tell everybody, if you want to go on a, on a beautiful vacation in the Mediterranean, you couldn't find a better place than, uh, than Malta. I mean, did you get a chance to visit um, that bar that Oliver Reed went to? Because obviously they filmed Gladiator there, and apparently, sad, sadly, the the night before Oliver Reed passed away, he spent the night drinking with a load of sailors all night at a bar, <laughs> bar in Malta. Literally, had pints of beer, bottles of whiskey, and sadly, his heart gave out the next day. But apparently, they've named the bar af- after him, and it's full of Oliver Reed stuff. Um, you know, I to be honest, I don't remember. Uh... I will say that we did consume uh, our fair share of, uh, of alcoholic <laughs> beverages, um, you know, because we were working most of the time we were working. I mean, we'd start in the mid-afternoon and film till two or three in the morning. Um, and most of, most of our uh, consuming of any uh, alcohol products took place back at the hotel because everything's closed by then. And then we'd sit around till daylight going over what happened, how we think things should be different um, for the next one. And that was, you know, me and Max and all the other guys and the actors, we just kind of sit around and uh, till daylight came up and then we'd all kind of catch about three, four hours of sleep, wake up, hit the gym or go for a swim. And then about three o'clock, hit it back on on set and uh, just work all night again. Um, I heard as well a funny story about when you was on set and you swapped with Max for a shot, um, and apparently, yeah. no, and no one noticed. No, uh, you know, because on set, the every uh, every set of clothes that an actor is going to have, every outfit they have at least two sets. Wardrobe yeah. does because if there's something wrong with a, ma- you know, if they have a malfunction or something with the wardrobe, on they don't want to shut down all the filming, so they just have extras there. Well, I because. You know, I had told Michael Bay, I said, I want a cameo in the show. And he's like, no, we, I don't plan on that. I don't do that. And, you know, I'm kind of a stubborn jarhead. So I was like, uh, me and I'm going to figure this out. So me and Max started talking and I had went over to wardrobe, got the exact same outfit that he was wearing and was standing across the street. And it was one of the scenes where they were going into, they were in the vehicle and they were going into the uh, consulate and, Michael Bay was up at the window talking, leaning over John Krasinski, talking to him, kind of going over what their uh, lines were and what he expected. And then when he turned around to walk up there, me and my, uh, me and Max just kind of switched out. And uh, Michael Bay didn't know it until um, when it came up to say, say Max's lines or my lines. Uh, I didn't know what they were, so I just kind of ad-libbed and uh, it kind of caught Michael Bay off guard there. <laughs> I presume he laughed. He wasn't angry. 
At first, he kind of was, and then everybody was laughing. And I, because I told him, I said, Michael, I told you I was going to get it. Now, just make sure it makes it in the movie. Well, he had the last laugh because uh, he wouldn't get included in the movie. I can't believe they didn't give you a cameo in the movie. That I know was, it. I know it. Because I, mean, awesome. yeah. I know it, that's the only time I'm going to ever have a chance to be in a major motion picture because, I mean, it's not like I've got any other talent other than uh, what I've been doing. Well, you know what? You need to be uh, writing your life story and get good old Clint Eastwood to, because uh, he's a great director as well. Absolutely amazing is. director. And um, I'm sure it'll be a hell of a film. So what we see on screen in 13 hours of movie, you know, how close is that? I know that obviously films that are based on true events, they do either elaborate on things or make it, you know, a bit bigger because it's the movies. But in a nutshell, how, how much of it on screen is what happened? Um, you know, everything, the only thing that really didn't happen in reality that was in the movie and that was the bus bomb. Um, after the second firefight at the annex, they pulled out that, that bus came up and they were taking out that big bomb. Um, and, you know, and we had asked Michael, you know, what in the heck are we putting that in there? I mean, there's enough explosions already. And his reasoning for it is, you know, he says, I'm trying to make sure that I keep people's anticipation up, keep that energy of the movie up. And if the second firefight at the annex would have ended as the first one did, which is what really happened is we killed a bunch of them and they decided that they didn't want to fight us for a while. They went back to re regroup. It would kind of be a letdown. So if you as the viewer watching it, was how he explained it is, okay, you had the first firefight, they're coming back at you with two to three times as many people. And then we have this bus bomb now. Everybody knows it gets worse. How much worse is it going to get after that big bus bomb? So basically... As he said, it keeps people's butts in the seat. So yeah. Yeah. I understood why he did it. and It made sense. I mean, you know, we kind of said, hey, you're the expert at making movies. We ain't going to tell you how to make a movie. Uh, <laughs> just don't tell us how to do security either. But yeah. I mean, do you keep in contact with uh, all, all your warrior friends still? You know, yeah, we do. We, uh, it's not all the time, you know, not a lot because we're all busy doing other things. I mean, you know, we're coming up here in, what, 10 days? Um, 10, 11 days is going to be the anniversary, and it's, the eight, it's been eight years already. And it's, uh, it's hard. You sit back and look at that, that it's been that, that, that long ago. Um, you know, and so we always get together or at least talk on September 11th, September 12th. That's awesome. That is awesome. I mean, what was the premiere like? Because <clears throat> you had the premiere in good old Dallas, Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um, it, was that the new stadium or the old one? Because I've been to the, I think the old one. Uh, this in, is the new one. It was, one. Uh, yeah, it had the largest, at that time, it was the largest uh, basically TV screen in the world um, up there. And uh, if looking back in, from researching it, we had the largest attendance of any premiere other than Passion of Christ when Passion of Christ was in the Philippines. Um, I think we had close to 40,000 people at the, wow. uh, at the premiere. And, and what was that like seeing, seeing that movie and you being portrayed? Uh, what, what was your thoughts of the movie when you first saw it? 
Um, well, for us, that wasn't the first time we'd seen it. Um, right. Michael Bay had taken, brought us all out to uh, Hollywood and, um, to include uh, Ty's family, Glenn's family, all of those that, uh, you know, all of us that were directly involved in our families on the security team. And we all got, had our own little mini premiere out in Hollywood on Paramount Studios uh, just to make sure. I mean, I think it was one of those things they wanted to make sure that, you know, we were good with everything before yeah. uh, it hit the uh, big screen. But, uh, you know, it was, it was seeing that, it was amazing. I never in my life would have thought that I'd have had a movie made about me. Um, yeah. And what a movie. It's just absolutely amazing. I mean, obviously you talk about the book and the film and getting the truth out there. Do you think the truth has, has got out there now and actually what happened? Because, again, not going over politics too much because it goes straight over my, my, my head, to be fair. Um, but do, 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 do you think the book and the film has helped a lot getting out what actually happened? Yeah, and I think, you know, and that's really um, – because – it really was never in our, especially for the rest of the guys, it wasn't really in their mind to, uh, and even mine. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, I want to go do a, you know, this happened to me and I got to go write a book and make a movie. And the whole reason for my idea of making anything was uh, I was injured and I knew I wasn't going to be able to go back to work. And partly, um, you know, my initial thoughts were that, I needed to find a way to take care of my family. And what really, the, what really triggered it mostly though, was when they started telling the story, they were not telling the story as it happened on the ground. I didn't care about the politics. I mean, politicians had taken, as I said, I've said many times, they took that football, threw it back and forth and no one scored a touchdown at all. I mean, um, what they left out was what happened on the ground. And I think everybody should know, um, you know, what happened on the ground. They needed to know the truth because, you know, we have, and just as, uh, you know, in England, in Britain, I mean, you guys have a lot of diplomatic posts around the world and you have a lot of uh, military. Um, I don't know if the contractors are as big with you guys as they are with us, but I know that you guys got contractors and military and civilian employees around the world working um, at all these facilities. And, you know, when you... When, you're, when you have the American flag or the British flag flying above uh, something in foreign soil, there's always people back there that want to hurt you and want to take that away. And that sacrifice that we have of that people are making for our, our two countries, I mean, you know, because we're really, we're, we're, we're sister, you know, we're sister countries, brother-sister countries, so to speak. And uh, it's, that's what's, there's going to be people after us. And yeah. We have a lot of brave soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, civilians, and, and government employees who serve our, our countries and serve them well all over the world to make sure that, uh, that these last two bastions of freedom stay free. Well said. Well said. And then we talk about, obviously, you saying that you want, you want to look after yourself, but you do a lot for others, Mark. Uh, you've got some great chari charities, uh, the Shadow Warriors and the Canine Program. If you could just explain what the Shadow wa wa Warriors are and how we can support that. Um, you know, as private security contractors with the U.S. government, um, our medical is really a workman's comp policy. 
And while you're working, you know, you get paid while you're working, but if you're not working or if your feet aren't in the country you're contracted with, you're not getting paid. So, you know, literally overnight, my pay went from about $750 a day to about uh, $80 a day, um, $90 a day. And so um, we really struggled, me and my family did initially, trying to make bills meet and, you know, take care of the medical and all, everything. So uh, I just didn't want to see anybody else have to deal with that. So we started our program and what we do is we support the private security contractors and the uh, and their families should they get injured or killed overseas and make sure that uh, they're taken care of, that they don't have to worry about uh, making ends meet while they're grieving or burying a loved one or trying to heal. And then we've uh, recently started a dog program that is, uh, we help both private security contractors and uh, military veterans with uh, service canines. And the company that we've partnered with is called Baden Canine, and they're actually out of Canada. So uh, they raise some of the best and well-trained Malinois and Dutch Shepherds and uh, German Shepherds that I've ever seen around the world. And we uh, use that animal to help heal the, uh, the warrior. And, uh, um, it's just a great program seeing what these dogs do for, uh, do for us. I mean, we, you know, man and dog kind of have a spiritual connection, I think beyond, uh, any other animal because dogs are the only animal that leave their own kind to come be with us. Mm. And, uh, I think there's a, you know, Personally, I think that uh, God put them in the Garden of Eden to help us. I mean, they've been in almost every ar archaeological dig um, that we've ever seen and uh, that we've ever had. And uh, so uh, I just use that to help people get healed. That is awesome work. And how we can help, I've noticed on the website, you can buy some amazing T-shirts. Yes. Uh, which have uh, got some awesome designs on them. They really have. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, that's one of them I'm wearing right now. Uh, this is our logo for Shadow Warriors Project. And then uh, um, on the back, it's a, uh, you can kind of see it's a, that's basically awesome. a kind of a cyborg contractor and is. Uh, so basically and, uh, you. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it uh, says on there, you know, private security contractors are a special kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> are they? <laughs> well, I suppose yeah. they've got to, haven't they? Um, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure speak, speaking to you. It really has. And you're going to get your dog over. Yeah. Do you know what? I had a German Shepherd Collie cross and uh, she was beautiful. Oh, look at that. Do you know what? How anyone could be mean to dogs, I just don't un un understand the most precious things they really are and do you know what gets gets me is when you see see these certain breeds that they're trying to get rid of and do you know what they are pack animals and and they are an animal but you know it's when you talk about nat nature or nurture you know if you're kind to them if you treat treat them right they'll look after you and um it's all about training it's yeah. uh, i mean they are made god put them on this earth to to serve man and yeah. uh to serve mankind and they're i mean they will do phenomenal things for people yeah. for our warriors um if they're treated right no that's awesome um 
I've got Dominic uh, Famusa coming on the show next week as well. Uh, I'm going awesome. 13 crazy. So uh, he's the one that obviously <laughs> played Tig. Uh, yeah. I'm, go- I'm going down the line. I'm going down the line um, because it's just a great film. So you can get the book from Mark's website, uh, signed, of course, which is awesome. And obviously your wonderful T-shirts. Mark, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to speak to you. It's a massive honor to speak to an American hero. Um because it's not often that you can speak to someone that's been through some some something like, you know, you have come mm-hmm. through the other end and it <clears> has an incredible story. So even though I'm in English, thank you for your service for the American people. I think that, you know, we should look after our veterans. Uh, I know Max does a lot of work as well, especially with his movie, uh, Sergeant Will Gardner, which is yep. an awesome film. It's awesome. It only just came out in the UK, believe it or not. And uh, I watched it and, yeah, it brought plenty of tears to my eyes. And it just makes you realize that you've got to do a lot more in life to support and help those out that have sacrificed so much for us uh, without, without us realizing. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. My world.